we wonder what we would do without you. God, you are such a wonderful God. You are a beautiful God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. asking God, what, what do you want me to say? I, you know, I don't know what to say. I get put up here and I don't know what to say. But uh, the scripture came to me out of 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro, searching for someone he can show himself strong. Would that be you? Would that be you? looking for somebody to show him. He's not looking for a strong person. He's looking for someone he can show himself strong. And once we, you know, one of the things that my parents used to tell me when I was a kid is, you know, you got to watch out who you hang out with. Because you hang out with someone for very long and you start acting like you start conforming to them, right? And God is wanting to hang out with us. He's searching. He's searching to and fro. To and to and fro. Looking all around, seeing who he, who he can show himself strong. Is that you today? Choose me, God. Choose me to show yourself strong. Choose me. Is that your cry today? Is that your desire? He wants to show himself strong to you. He wants to show. His eyes run. His eyes run. They chase after you. And he just wants us to stop and turn around and let him run over us to be a part of our life. Amen? Father, thank you so much for choosing us. Thank you for, for creating us for such a time as this. Father, I thank you that the harvest fields are turning white, that the fruit of the field is being brought to a place of maturity so that your people who you can show yourself strong will come along and begin to harvest. So, Father, we thank you for harvest this morning. Father, we leverage your spirit. We leverage your word to strengthen your kingdom. Choose us, Lord. Choose us. We give ourselves to you today, and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around and tell somebody, I'm chosen. God chose me. Well, today, today's a good day, amen? So, so here's the deal. It's dark up here on the stage because, um, technology went haywire this morning. And, and our guys are, uh, Kyle and Brad and Rhett and Josh and everybody are trying to, uh, pull things back together because the Rise Broadband, I'll just, I'll just say this. It's not a shout out to Rise. Because I'm really upset with them at this point. 
But, uh, you know, I don't even, are we, are we online this morning? Are we? Good deal. Well, hi, Facebook. So, um, we're just sorry these lights up here work off of the internet as well, work off a server and, and apparently they're not working. But that is the only thing that's not working. And you don't have to look at me and in all my beauty because it's better. Like Moses, when he came off the mountain with God, you know, he's glowing and stuff like that. And people couldn't look at him. Well, this is, this is the perfect time, right? <laughs> so anyways, today, today is the beginning of the month, first service of the month. And in that, we love to pray over those who, who tithe and give and uh, things like that. But we love testimonies because the word testimony in the Old Testament, in the, in the, the Hebrew, literally means he will do it again. And so the, the root word out of testimony means that he'll do it again. So we like to call people who are tithers to come up and encourage us as to what tithing has done for them. And so, um, and I love it when our young people step up. And so this morning, I want to introduce to you guys Wyatt Eichmann. He is, uh, he is uh, on fire for God and and God's got him doing some things, and and so we we uh, we asked him to do this, and and he <laughs> he vapor locked on me. Let's just say that he vapor vapor locked. But you know the the Lord really wanted him to do it, and he's been encouraged by the Lord to to get up here and tell kind of his testimony of tithing, and 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 then when you get done, would you pray over the people? Would be all right. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So, anyways, would y'all welcome Ty Agnew? I mean, Ty Wyatt. Ty's his brother. <laughs> All right. So, like Pastor said, every first Sunday of the month, we pay, f- we pray for everyone's finances. And at the last encounter night, got into a conversation with Lynette and. All of a sudden, she asked me if I was interested in doing the tithing message, and uh, no, <laughs> but here I am. You know, a lot of questions ran through my mind, like, why would she choose a 19-year-old kid who still lives with his parents, who's going to college, to give a message about finances? <laughs> and, you know... Over time, God really revealed to me that I was hiding something that I needed to tell a lot of people about. And about that night, you know, I I didn't want to say no too fast. So she gave me some time to think about it. And by that night, I had an answer. So now I'm up here. Um, So at the start of August, I enrolled in Ames Community College at Greeley. And for the first semester, it was going to be about $18,000 for the entire semester. And I didn't have that kind of money, so I just was going to do what every other college kid was going to do and take out a loan for college. But then God really got on me and was telling me, why aren't you trusting me? Why are you just putting your own trust into the bank and into the government and not trusting me at all with what, with what I'm going to do with you. 
In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Matthew 6, 26 through 27, it says, Look at the birds. Does God not give them everything they need for their entire life? Are we, the ones who are designed to have a personal connection with God, more valuable than the birds? And after all of this, I chose to take a leap of faith and trust God. And I started receiving scholarships that I thought I would never receive. During this time, I still continued to tithe as an act of faith and to honor God. And tithing isn't about God needing money. It's never been about that. It's about us putting him first with our finances. And before I ever knew it, I was making my last payment at the beginning of November. And God had done it. God had done it in less than three and a half months. Leading up to the second semester, it was going to be around the same amount. And I fell back into my old mindset. Although God did help me become debt-free and stay debt-free, the first semester was still very financially challenging. And... Again, I was totally going to take out a loan for this semester. But then God got God on me again <laughs> and said, Why aren't you trusting me? Why are you why are you stressing about your finances when you made me first in your life? So I decided to trust him again and he provided once again. It ended up being a lot less, costing me a lot less for this semester than it did the previous, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm here to stand today that I'm completely debt-free for the first year of college. That's really all I got to say. I'll pray, but <laughs> yeah. Pastor said, blessed are those who are short-winded. So I'll pray. God, I pray that my testimony encouraged and empowered those who listened. Thank you for blessing your children when they choose to come to you and put their faith in your mighty power. Thank you, God, for making a way when there seems to be no way. In your heavenly name, amen. Good job. Amen. Amen. That's good, huh? <clears throat> well, um, it's dark up here. Do you mind if I come down on the floor? Is that all right? Would you grab that for me? Come on down. I'm the next contestant. All right. Good deal. Well, man, such a good testimony. Um, can you all see me a little bit better now? Um, well, move up. <laughs> I heard that. Anyways, man, you know, Wyatt said something there that set me up just fine. Was, uh, if you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 12. And, uh, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, 
even in the midst of all the chaos that's been going on this morning, the enemy does not want this church to, to get ahead because he's doing, he's throwing everything possible at us in, in the, the form of technology. You know, you don't realize how, uh, how much you rely and lean into technology until you don't have it. And so anyways, we're going old school today. So not quite, you know, no, no microphone or anything like that. So I'm, I am thankful that that's up and going. Amen. Amen. So, um, Romans chapter 12, and we, we started a kind of a series last week and I'll finish it up next week. But here in Romans chapter 12, this seems to be the, the, um, kind of the text of, of this, of what this series is about. And so we've been talking about transformation and I, I, or I have, I've been talking a lot about transformation because I, I love that, um, that piece of the puzzle because that piece of the puzzle, transformation is something that we cannot do. We can't make it happen. It's a God thing that makes it happen. So we've been talking about transformation and, and we've been given that challenge. I think that that challenge from God is to be able to position ourselves in a place where he can do something in our life. Amen. And so I asked the question of what, what is God looking for in us? What is he looking for in us? And I believe it's here in Romans chapter 12. So, um, verse one, Romans chapter 12, verse one, the apostle Paul's writing here and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That means that it's not hard to do. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says there that we must be transformed. He says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, and, and I've said this so many times, said it a lot last weekend, but that word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis from. And so when we think about uh, metamorphosis, we think about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? That That is, I think that's the reason that they come up with that word is because it's a, it's the easiest model in this earth to see metamorphosis happen. And so um, metamorphosis is not a process that we can do. It's not about us. The metamorphosis is not about us. It's a position that when we rest in, in God, when we, when we step into that place of rest and Pastor Lynette, the last couple of weeks, uh, before I got up last weekend has been talking about rest. She's been, she's been resting in rest lately and she ain't been taking no naps. She's just been, she's just been resting and, and God's showing her some things about rest, but metamorphosis is a place where we position, we get in position and we just rest in him and his word. And there's things that naturally just happen. There is something that it's not something that we're doing. It's something that he's doing in us. And so that, that, uh, when you think about that caterpillar turning into about going through metamorphosis, uh, that caterpillar doesn't try to do it. 
And he doesn't choose to do it himself. He can't. That's not the way it works. Because transformation is about positioning. And he, he you know, the, 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 the caterpillar climbs up the tree, finds the branch he likes, goes out on the branch, positions himself, and he just goes to sleep. And the things, the, the thing that God does with that caterpillar is a, it's a God process. It's a God process. He trusts, even though he don't know, he trusts in what God is doing. That, that he, he, he trusts in the nature of his purpose. And he can't, once the process starts, he can't stop it. There's nothing you can do to start it and there's nothing you can do to stop it because God is in control. God is, you know, that's what's taking place. The God part of the process, that's transformation. It's that, it's that part of humanity. It's that part that humanity cannot do. It's all God. Science can't explain what happens to a, to a caterpillar when it goes through that. I heard one guy talking about it and he says, well, inside that chrysalis that that caterpillar is in, it just turns to mush. Everything turns to mush. It's just a liquid on the inside. And then it begins to, God begins to form it in his hands inside that chrysalis. That's the beauty of transformation. Because transformation, once, once we go through that transformation, now we can be conformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And when we start renewing our mind and start that process of transformation, that's where it begins to turn us into the, the, the thing that we're supposed to be. And what are we supposed to be? Romans 8.29. I believe it's 8.29. I got way ahead of myself on that one. But it says that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the image of God's son. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> See, we, we can't, we can, we can work conformity. We can work that. I mean, all you got to do is go buy the right hat, the right pair of boots, to be, <laughs> the right dress, the right shoes. You know, we can do that to conform to something. Uh, my wife has got me into my new guilty pleasure. And it's called uh, Million Dollar Listing. <laughs> we watch Million Dollar Listing. I like to see those those big houses out in California that are multi-million dollar homes and things like that. I don't dream to be there. I don't want to be there. But <laughs> but I, I've got into this guilty pleasure. And, and so what I've noticed, <clears throat> what I told Lynette the other day, I said, what is the, what's the deal with these upper class ladies in the middle of hot summertime California putting like blazers and dress coats on their shoulders. They, they wear these dress coats, but they wear it on their shoulders and they walk around with this thing on their shoulder. They can't move their hands out because they'll knock the, the coat off. But the, the, this new fashion statement, I said, what is this deal? And she was, well, it's, it's, an, it's a new thing that they're doing in California in Hollywood. And so I, I said, I think that's kind of stupid looking. 
But when one person does it that makes a million dollars, then everybody else starts dressing that way. That's called conforming. It's conforming. We don't need to be conformed except to the image of Jesus Christ. And that can only come through transformation. Amen? So what, what would it be like if a caterpillar climbs up the tree and he says, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to staple some wings on myself. And I'm just going to sit out here in this branch and play like a butterfly. I don't care what you do. That, that, that caterpillar is not going to fly anywhere. Just because he has wings on and he looks like a butterfly doesn't make him a butterfly. Amen? Amen. So, so I was thinking about that. I mean, he can identify as a butterfly. I got my wings on. I identify as a butterfly. That still don't make him a butterfly. So I was thinking about this and I thought, well, what is the purpose of a butterfly? The purpose of a butterfly is to pollinate. So he just, he flutters around, you know, getting on the, the plants and flowers and things like that, taking them elsewhere, pollinating things kind of like a bee does. That's the purpose of a, of a butterfly. And, and people love that, especially farmers and things like that. They love that because that's where the, the pollination happens. That's where increase happens. Amen. But what is the purpose of a caterpillar? Nothing. There is no purpose of the caterpillar. As a matter of fact, the caterpillar is almost hated because it eats the crops. It eats the leaves. It eats the flowers. But if we don't let them go through the natural process of, of, of transformation, they'll not, their purpose, the caterpillar's purpose is to become a butterfly at some point. Other than that, they have no purpose. But when they go through the process, then the purpose becomes evident. The purpose is a good thing. Amen? So when we read this scripture in, in Romans chapter 12, I said it last week, it's almost like a, 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 a um, competition for identity. Being, being conformed to the world will always deceive our thinking into thinking we're something we're not. That's what being conformed to the world is. It's, it's the, if I put my coat over my shoulders and walk around, I'll sell million dollar homes. No, you just, you just put your coat on your shoulders is all you've done. Bless their heart. Because transformation is the thing we need. So not conformed to the world, but being transformed. Being transformed is key to renewing our thinking and it's not a task. See, when we read the word, it shouldn't be, when, when we read the Bible, it shouldn't be something that we do in order to gain brownie points with God. It's not something we do. It's not a job we do. It's not a task. It's not a, it's, it's, it's not something that is, um, that is a chore or work. If you're reading the Bible for work, watch out. You'll be a pastor. No, I'm kidding. If you're, if you're reading the, the, the Bible out of a, being a task, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna show up nothing on the inside of you. You gotta read it because you wanna be with Him. See, that's the goal of our identity. Transformation is the goal of our identity because God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we'll be conformed to the image of His Son. 
And that, that is the goal. Being made into the image and likeness of God. Well, I thought we were. Well, we were, kind of. Because Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, right? And we're, we're from Adam. Every one of us are from Adam somewhere down the line. But Adam lost some things in the garden. And when he lost those things in the garden, that means that now we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in order to get those things back into us. So that when God, when, when God comes back to get his church, he said, he knows who the church is because we look like Jesus. We're, we're to, we're to look like the image of his son. So why is God so concerned about our transformation? Because he, he needs to recover. God needs to recover the fullness of what Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. Three valuable aspects to relationship with our, with God, our, our relationship with God is being in His presence, having the power, and being clothed in the glory of God. Everything that Adam lost in the garden, the, the, um, the presence, the power, and the glory of God, we need to recover that. God wants to recover that on the inside of us. And it can only come through transformation. That's why I'm talking about transformation so much. Because the only way that we can be uh, to recover those things is to allow God to to do those things in us. Amen? So last week I started talking about the presence of God and how a lot of times we struggle with trying to get in the presence of God. We, we want to be in the presence of God so much that we, we push and try and, and, and worship and pray and get on our face. I mean, we, we do all this stuff to try to get God's presence there because somewhere along the line that when Adam lost the presence, we still walk in the ways of Adam in that. And God wants us to get back into that place of in his presence. Because God is not withholding his presence from us. Are you hearing me this morning? I mean, we, we, we pray in the spirit. We do all these things. We get on our face. We, we dance trying to get God's presence to come. But let me tell you something. God is here. Whether we want him here or not, God is here. In Walmart, God is here. In King Supers, God is here. When you're standing out in the parking lot, God is here because you carry the presence of God. Whether you know it or not, God does not withhold his presence from us. It does not. He does not withhold that. But guilt and shame, last week we talked about guilt and shame and how it creates a void, a void and a dialogue that we feel like that that when we do something wrong, when we sin, do something wrong, not measure up to what we think God want to, wants us to measure up, we think that God is so disgusted with us that he keeps his distance. But that's not what the word says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he pursues us in spite of us. Now, that's my translation of that. But surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It doesn't say unless you sin. It doesn't say anything like that. He pursues us in spite of our sin in order to rescue us from guilt and shame. 
I was, I was reading that, you know, last week I said that, that, that we a lot of times hide in the bushes and talk to God, you know, but I was reading that scripture where Adam hid from God, hid, hid from his presence. And it says he hid, hid among the trees. Adam may have hid among the trees, but Jesus was nailed to one to bring us out. Jesus come out of the trees, got on a tree in order to redeem us and rescue us from guilt and shame. Amen. God is calling us out of the trees, out of that isolation and into the open where we can be vulnerable with him. Vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerability. Vulnerable now, I forgot what I was going to say. Vulnerability is one of the most powerful tools that we can have. Being open and honest before God. Being open and honest before people. You ain't got nothing to hide if you're open and honest, huh? Come out of isolation and be vulnerable. Come out of the trees because Jesus hung on a tree to, to, to bring you out of isolation. See, that's where the God process happens. It's when we desire to be with him. And when we desire to be with him, it recovers the presence of God. So now let's switch gears into today. God wants to recover not only his presence, but he wants to recover his power on the inside of mankind. See, God gave all of his power to Adam and Eve. He, he didn't withhold nothing. He didn't hold nothing back when he created. He breathed. The, the Bible says that he breathed into Adam. Adam was just a pile of dirt. But when God breathed into him, he came alive. <clears throat> and he carried the very DNA of God. Everything that God is, Adam was. And he gave him and Eve all power in the Garden of Eden. He gave him all power. So go back over to Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first book of your Bible. <clears throat> We're going to start here today. And by the time, I'm hoping that by the time 2 or 3 o'clock rolls around, we'll be through Revelation. So here in Genesis chapter 1, um, these are the, the days of creation. Five days or six days of creation are mentioned here in, in Genesis 1. And the, the verses 1 through 25 is the first five days. It was, a, it was in, intricately detailed of what God wanted to, to, to make and wanted his people to step in in this world. Amen? <clears throat> So here, I want to read the, the scriptures here, starting at verse 26. I'm going to go through 31. New King James says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, <clears throat> over the birds of the air. <clears throat> over the birds of the air. And over the cattle, over all the, the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. <clears throat> in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, 
and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb and for food, and, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were of the sixth day. Now what God told him to do, he, he said, let us make man in our image. So Adam, when he made Adam, Adam looked like God. He looked like God. He acted like God. He talked like God because he was from God. Amen. He had everything, the whole DNA that God is. He had that. It was perfect. He was in perfection. Adam was not God, but he was a reflection of God. Amen. He was the reflection of God. And he gave him power. Verse 28 said, There fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That is what power is. It's subduing is power. Dominion is power. It is all the authority that God gave everything, gave everything to Adam in the garden, told him to tend it, to guard it, to protect it, to manage it, and make it his own. And when God gave him that power, he said, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue in the Hebrew means to make subservient, subservient. How many of you use that word this week? <laughs> Me too. So I had to look it up because I couldn't call you to see what it meant. He says, make subservient. The word subservient means useful as an instrument to promote purpose. He gave Adam the power over all the earth in order to be able to leverage that as an instrument for purpose. Everything had purpose. And everything that had purpose was in the hands of Adam to, to watch over. He said, and have dominion. Subdue and have dominion. The word dominion means to dominate and subjugate. Another word. I had to look it up. Subjugate. I, I kind of know what it means, but I had to look it up just to make sure I knew. And subjugate means to bring under dominion or control by conquest. By conquest. Bring it under control by conquest. In other words, you're going to be challenged with everything that you have to do on this earth. It's going to challenge you. It's going to, it's going to, I mean, look at the, the technology messed up in our church. We had a team of warriors going after fixing this thing to have power and to dominate this thing. And that's what God gave to, to Adam to dominate, to, to control by conquest. In other words, Adam had the power of an army on the inside of him. It wasn't just him alone. It wasn't just him and Eve alone doing this. Even though there was nobody else there, he's not fighting against anybody. He's fighting for having dominion in himself. Amen? The definition of subjugate means to make someone or something subordinate to. 
to be put under a yoke. It's the picture of a yoke. A yoke, you know, putting putting two uh, two donkeys together, two horses together, that one can't do more than the other, but them together multiplies the power, multiplies everything. And and he said he told Adam he said look I, I need you to I need you to tend to this garden I need you to to sub, uh, I need you to subdue and dominate. I love what my coach at the gym says. He says on Friday he says dominate the weekend. Dominate the weekend. You've come here and you've given yourself out of yourself. And now you have the power to dominate the weekend. Don't let anything dominate you. You dominate it. Amen. Have dominion. Adam had the power of an army on the inside of him. Adam and Eve both had power over everything. They had power over the plants, the trees, the animals, the birds. They even had power over the creeps. Did you catch that? Creeps. He says you have power over every creeping thing. You have power over creeps. In Genesis chapter 3, there came a serpent. A serpent showed up. Now, our, our image of a serpent these days is a snake, right? I don't know what a serpent was in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden because it says that it is more cunning than all the cattle and the beasts of the field. So cattle and beasts walk, right? I think, I think that serpent walked. I think it's more of a lizard looking thing than a, than a snake looking thing. But the lizard was smart compared to the serpent because the lizard didn't say anything and he still has his legs. But the serpent said, and God said, God told the serpent, you're going to crawl on your belly for the rest of your life. He says, off with your legs. Now eat the dust, sucker. I have uh, likened myself to Moses. Because when Moses, when God was showing him that this staff, he said, throw your staff down. It turned into a snake and it says, Moses fled. Anyways, I got to get back to this. Adam, Adam should have leveraged his God-given power to subdue and dominate when this serpent showed up. And it wasn't just a serpent, it was a talking serpent. In other words, it had a personality. I don't know if the animals could talk to Adam back then, but I know the serpent can. And this serpent did. And when he started speaking contrary to God's word, Adam should have said, No! You get out of here. You quit talking to my wife. Get. Yeah! But Adam didn't say anything. He's standing there with Eve, letting Eve have a conversation with this thing. And this thing is totally speaking contrary to the promise and the fullness of what God told Adam to do. But instead of kicking that thing out, shutting it up, now by letting that thing talk them into doing what God told them not to do, they subjected themselves to the word of the serpent. Guilt and shame in that moment stripped them and left them vulnerable, left them cowardly, 
and left them timid. It was fear. Fear entered in. Look at, look at this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? I should have included verse 10 in there. I didn't. But this is what verse 10 says. So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, I was afraid. He said, I was naked and afraid. Sounds like a good TV show to watch sometime. (laughs) He says, I was afraid. I was afraid. Fear entered in. Fear had never been in the garden. And in that moment, the moment that he subjected himself, when they subjected themselves to what the enemy said, they became enslaved to fear. The word afraid means a feeling of terror. They feared God, not in the right way, but in the negative way. See, there's a healthy fear of God. There's a fear of God where we, where we respect and honor Him, right? That's, that's a healthy fear of God. But an unhealthy fear of God is thinking that God, when you sin, God's going to kill you. Have you ever been there? I have. I thought, you know, in this that I'm walking in, in this guilt and shame, in this sin that I have opened the door to, I'll be surprised if I make it home, somebody don't cross that yellow line into my lane because what good am I? I mean, that's a, that's the stinking behind the trees dialogue that we come up with, but God ain't looking to kill us. He's looking to rescue us. He knows we need rescue. Amen. It's that feeling of terror in verse five of that same chapter in verse five, it says, For God knows that in the day that you eat, this is the serpent talking. God knows that in the day you eat of it, the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Guys, they were already like God. They knew all the goodness of God. They didn't need to know evil. There was no evil. They didn't need to know it. But the minute they knew evil, it became more weighty than the goodness of God. It was bigger. The, 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 uh, the fear, the timidity, the no confidence was bigger in, in their eyes than the goodness of God. The evil was bigger. Let me tell you something today. If you feel like the evil, the evil in your life or evil around you is bigger than God, you don't know how big God is. You need, we need a transformed mind in that. I loved it when my, my kids watched the Veggie Tales when they were little. There was, there was one Veggie Tale that I remember, God is bigger than the boogeyman. And that song goes off in my head when I think about that. God's bigger. God's bigger. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, you know, in the Old Testament, if we pray, if someone prayed for a, a person with a, a leprosy, yeah, with leprosy, 
we couldn't get near them because they might get on us. But in the New Testament, Jesus prayed for those with leprosy and it, and what he had got on them. That's, that's what we have, y'all. What God has given us is bigger. What, what Jesus gave to us, what the Holy Spirit has given in us is bigger than the evil that's in the world. Don't be afraid of that stuff. Amen. What the, what the serpent said here was absolutely right. That you will know good and evil. And since that day, good and evil have been a part of our life. But that's where fear stepped in. That's where fear came upon Adam. That's where fear came to the point to where he ran off. He, they, they made aprons for themselves. They made clothes for themselves out of fig leaves and run off into the trees and hid behind the trees to have a dialogue with God. At that moment, the enemy stole the power from humanity. And for the next 4,000 years, fear dominated mankind until Jesus. Amen? Now, we had moments. There were moments of, of, of men overcome, men and women overcoming fear. Uh, David, when he fought Goliath, he overcame fear to go out there on the battlefield and whip that dude, right? Showed him how to get ahead in life, right? You'll get that later. Gideon, 300 men against thousands. He, he couldn't have fear. He couldn't let fear dominate him. Esther, going into the king, if, if, if she wouldn't have had the, the, the goodness of God on the inside of her, the boldness to go before the king, the king would have killed her. But she put fear aside and let boldness and, and good, the goodness of God, lead her. Amen? But Jesus, when he came to this earth, he faced some of the same scenarios that Adam faced in the Garden of Eden. Because Jesus was put on this earth to recover power for us. Amen? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus' body was sown in weakness and raised in power. He was buried in his weakness, the weakness of humanity. But when he was resurrected, he was raised in power. Wind it up. We were, we were having dinner last night with Rhett and Lacey. And Rhett says, Dad, I'll give you five bucks if it's in your sermon tomorrow. You go, wind it up. <laughs> I just got $5 richer. And I'll tie my nickel at the door. It meant so. Oh, thank you, buddy. Got me a bookmark now. First Corinthians fifteen forty five says this. It says, And so it was written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is not the second Adam. He is the last Adam. 
He is the one who was successful to give us rescue from guilt and shame, to give us rescue from evil, to give us rescue. And that's what Jesus went to the cross for. See, his resurrection was the seal of recovered power. When he come up out of that grave, it, it, for every one of us, if we'll just push ourselves into the resurrection, if we'll understand what the resurrection was about, his resurrection, even though he was sown in weakness, now he's resurrected in power. He gives us that same power when we give ourselves to transformation by the renewing of our mind. And we understand what he did. He's a life-giving spirit. Not just a living being. So last week I, I talked about three areas of undoing that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden or, or um, when they sinned. And when they sinned, what three things I saw was that Eve looked at that tree after the serpent told her about it. She looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eye, and desirable, desirable to make one wise. How Satan begins to subdue us in the New Testament. First John 2 says it's through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That was the same scenario that Adam and Eve had in the garden, right? So let's move over to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Are you all getting anything out of this yet? Here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was 30 years old. He had just entered into ministry. I mean, he's, he's been a man of God his whole life, but, and been a, really a, a, uh, a great kid. I would have hated to be Jesus' brother, you know, <laughs> James or something like that going, man, you're so perfect all the time. How come, how come Jesus don't get in trouble? You know, how come I keep screwing up and he don't? Y'all like Jesus more. That's something my kids fight about. You, know, you like Riata more. You like Rhett more. You're right. I like you both more at different times. But Jesus, Jesus turned 30 years old and he was, he went into the ministry and the first thing he did was go be baptized by John the Baptist, right? He goes to be baptized by John the Baptist and then, um, as he comes up out of the water, God speaks out of heaven, speaks his identity. He says, this is my son. This is not Mary and Joseph's son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God spoke his identity. And while Jesus was still wet, while he was still dripping, and he come out of that Jordan River, he comes out and the Holy, the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. I mean, in one shot, I mean, he goes down, comes up, gets a new identity and walks out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's what I want you to understand. Temptation is not wrong unless you give into it. Matthew chapter four, verse one. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Duh. I mean, 10-day fast, 21-day fast. Even with food, I'm hungry at the end of that, you know. 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. 
But he answered and said, but Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The challenge came at Jesus in his weakest moment up to that point. His weakest moment, 40 days, 40 nights without food. He's hungry. His belly's growling. Things are talking on the inside of him. And I'm sure he's probably in his humanity. He's pretty miserable. But then the serpent came, not in the form of a serpent, but the same spirit that was in the serpent came. It was the devil. And he said, hey, you're hungry. How'd you like these stones to become bread? Why don't you, if you're really the son of God, you'll speak to them. If you're really, you know what he did? He challenged his identity. He challenged his identity. He says, if you're really the son of God, if you really are, turn those stones into bread and have a feast. And Jesus said, it is written. It is written. Do you know why he said it is written? Because he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. When he knows the word of God, he can say, it is written. See, that same army that was on the inside of Adam was on the inside of Jesus. And he could overcome it by conquest because he knew the word of God. He knew what God said about that. What would happen to Jesus if he would have turned stones into bread and ate bread right there on the spot? 40 days and 40 nights without food would have killed him. That's exactly what the devil wanted to do. He wanted him to die. Jesus countered the enemy. He countered him. With power. And you know what his power was? It is written. It is written. That was the lust of the flesh. The temptation of the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the tip top of the temple, tip top place of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He said, I'm not going to do it, devil. I'm not going to throw myself off. I'm not going to. Even though you've spoken to me the word of God. See, the devil heard what he said it is written. And the devil says, well, you know it's written. And he absolutely said correct things. What the devil is trying to do is challenge Jesus in his relationship with God. And when he said that, when he brought a manipulation to God's word, even though it was God's word, even though it was in Psalms, God's word, even though... He manipulated it. He was trying to get Jesus to, to, to give in to the pride of life. And he challenges his identity again, but Jesus comes back and he counters with power. And he said, it is written again, again. Jesus wasn't trying to do anything that was outside his wheelhouse. He wasn't doing anything outside of his wheelhouse. He, all he knew is it is written. 
Can I let you in on a secret? That's all you have to do. It is written. When there's temptation that comes and tries to get us over into that place of giving ourselves, subjecting ourselves, slavery to sin, slavery to fear, when we get into that place, all we've got to do is say it is written and quote the Word of God against it. But you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to know how to do that. Right? That's why it's so important to be transformed. It's Matthew chapter 4. Let's go on, verse 8. It says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That right there was the false information that the enemy gave him, that Satan gave him from from looking down on everything in the world, all the riches, all the fame, everything that that the world had to offer. And he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give all these to you. Did you know that he had those things? He had possession of those things. Adam gave the enemy possession of the earth. And he had the right to give it to Jesus if he'd just worship him. But you know what Jesus said? He said, get out of here. Get. It's exactly what Adam should have said in the garden. Get. When I was back home with my mom a few weeks ago, she has these cats that come up at her house. She's got a few little feral cats that are that are her cats. But then we get these stray cats that come in, tom cats that come in and try to beat up the little ones. And you know what my mama does? She sees that gray and white cat out there, and she gets up and she walks over, opens that door, and says, "You get." It's gone. That's all the enemy is. That's all he is. That's that's why some people don't like cats. They think it's a serpent with four legs. But Satan was tempting him with the lust of his eyes. Took him upon that and showed him all the good stuff of the world. Showed him all the, the glory of the world. And said, you can have this if you just worship me. But Jesus countered with the power, it is written. Jesus in those moments, in that moment in the wilderness, completely overcame every temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, In all points he was tempted, but he did not sin. In all points he's tempted as we are, but he did not sin. And he overcame because he did not sin. And I love verse 11 here. Verse 11 says, Then the devil left him, and, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. The devil left him. One, one book says that the devil left him for a more opportune time. You know what that opportune time was? The cross. And it wasn't because the devil put him there. It's because Jesus chose to be there. He said, You can't kill me. But only I can give myself over to the things that God wants me to do. Amen. Every challenge and every temptation that we face 
carries fear. For Jesus, it was, uh, it would have been starving, you know. He could have feared that he would starve to death out there. He could have feared that, that he, if he jumped off the pinnacle, he would have died. He could have feared of being without anything in this world, but that had no hold on him. He overcame that. He overcame fear. He delivered us from fear because fear is what takes away our power. We cannot give ourselves to fear because fear takes away the power to have dominion, to be able to speak into what God wants us to speak into, to bring purpose into our lives. We have power. And when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, we can say, it is written. Amen. Fear enslaves, uh, enslaves humanity. It hijacks your identity and God-given power. I was, Friday afternoon, I was uh, standing in the kitchen. I was um, talking to Rhett and Lynette about what I was talking about this weekend. And Rhett says, Dad, he says, Daddy. He calls me Daddy. I like being called Daddy. He says, Daddy, he says, you need to go listen to we're no longer slaves of fear. No longer slaves by the Helsers, right? Jonathan, David, and Melissa Helzer. But we know that song, right? We're no longer slaves of fear, but we are a child of God, right? So I went downstairs into my office and got on my knees and I turned that on. And I just let it play. Because I'm tired of being a slave to fear. I'm tired of being a slave to what the enemy wants me to, to carry and, and feel like that I don't have the confidence to, to be what he's called me to be. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You're no longer a slave to fear. You have a better future than what the enemy wants to give you. Because when we see fear for what it is, we can be free from fear. Amen. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He's not given us a spirit of fear. That word fear means timidity, cowardice. We're no longer slaves of that. He, because God never gave that to us. The enemy gave that to us. We picked it up. Adam picked it up in the garden. When he sinned, he said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. The word power there in the New Testament is a Greek word called dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. Because this word dunamis, this power that God gave us, is he gave us of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word power that God gave us is explosive strength and ability. We have the explosive. When Jesus said it is written, it was like a bomb going off to the enemy because it didn't shake the, it didn't shake Jesus. It shook the enemy and he didn't want to pursue any more into it. He said, okay, I'll just go for a more opportune time. I'm going to leave this guy alone. He's the real deal. He's all in. Amen? 
It was through that what Jesus did going to the cross, his resurrection recovered the power for us. He confidently handled every temptation with the power of it is written. It is written. Jesus positioned himself in that time. And he wants us to position ourselves. Today is a day to position yourself. To get in that place, position yourself, and trust the God process. Just as it is for the caterpillar, when he goes and he gets in that place on that branch, and he settles down into that cocoon, that chrysalis, to let God have his way with the transformation. And that's what we need to do. We need to position ourselves in God and know that God wants to restore us, recover us into power. And it's in that place that we just got to let God do what God does. Read the word, pray, worship. That's great. But in that, it's not about you making it happen. It's about him, his process happening and giving ourselves to that. Jesus positioned himself. He trusted God. And he recovered the power that God gave Adam. He recovered the authority. He recovered the ability to to dominate and subdue in this earth. God has never given us the dominion over each other. So we don't have the right to dominate one another. I, I say that in every every uh, marriage uh, that I do, every wedding that I do. I tell both parties, I tell both the man and the woman, you, God has never given you a right to dominate one another. You cannot dominate. But this earth, he's given us domination and subduing. Amen? I'll close with this. I heard years ago, a man named Charles Caps. Charles Caps was a great man, word of faith guy. He died a few years ago. But Charles Caps loved to fish. And so before he would go fishing, they would get to the lake or get to the pond or get to the river, wherever he was to fish. He would get there and he would stop. He didn't just go and, and get his fishing pole out and wet a line. He would stop at the side of that at the, on the bank And he would look out across that water and he'd say, God, I'm here to fish. I'm here to catch fish. So this is what I say. He would point at that water and he'd say, fish, you get on my line today. You get on this line because you do not have the right to do what you want to do. You have the right to do what I tell you to do. And I tell you to get on this line. And every time he was successful. People would say, Charles, why are you fishing with that lure? I said, I don't know. God told me to fish with it. And he was catching more fish than anybody. When it didn't make no sense. It wasn't about the lure. It wasn't about Charles. It was about the dominion and the power that he carried on the inside of him that spoke into this earth and said, get on my line. Command you to bite right now in Jesus' name. I know it sounds silly, but you need to do that. Because every day we're being challenged by something that this world wants to, wants to conform us to. Every day 
We're being challenged. Every form of social media, every form of media, every form of everything that, that you are in contrary to tries to change us and conform us. It's like what Bailey said a while ago. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. So we might as well start living our life like we're not of this world. Fish, get on my line. Bears, stay away. (laughs) Amen. That, y'all, is the power of a renewed mind. When you renew yourself to the Word of God, when you allow His Word to dominate you, then you become a dominator in the kingdom and on this earth. Amen? Amen. Did you get anything out of that today? Well, next week I'll get up here and I'll finish this out. I think it's going to be really good. I think. Still working on it. It's going to be really good. So with that, I want to pray over you guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this time we have together. God, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that when we come to church, we don't come to church as a task. We come to church just to be in your presence. We're pursuing you as you pursue us. We have our minds set to hear what you want to do in this place every week. God, we're positioning ourselves in order for you to transform our minds in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much that when we do that, we get to see the realness of who you are. And you sent your only son. You gave us your only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sin, to die on the cross, to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from what Adam lost and to transform us into the image of Jesus. Because when we do and when we be who Jesus is, that God, you recognize him, but you recognize us because we look like him. So Father, I pray for anyone who has never stepped into that, never stepped into Christianity, never stepped into a, um, never, never stepped into being a Christ follower. Father, and I pray right now that their hearts would be moved and motivated toward salvation. What Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus came and recovered and rescued, rescued us from and recovered us for is, is to be obtained today, to be appropriated today. And we can only appropriate that and have the authority to appropriate that when we say, Jesus, I give you my life. So if you're in this room today or you're watching by podcast or, or on, the plat- on the platforms we use for video, if you've never said, Jesus, I give you my life, you need to do that today. You need to do that. Jesus, I give you my life. And when you do that, Jesus says, I give you my life too. Let's do this. You may say, well, pastor, what does that mean I've got? What, what does that mean? I don't know. That just means that now Jesus has a free path into us to to transform us into who he is. So if you said that this morning, Jesus, I give you my life. If you said that for the very first time, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody like that? You said that for the very first time today. Awesome. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for a long time and 
you haven't been walking the way that you should be walking. And today you want to turn and, and get back into him. All you got to say is, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry I took it away. I'm sorry I separated from you. But today I give you my life. Is there anybody like that that you want to rededicate yourself this morning? Anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? Gotcha. Gotcha. Anybody else? Yeah, I gotcha. Gotcha. Good. Good. So good. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for these that have, have said, I give you my life again. Father, you don't care if it's the first time that we're doing it or the 101st time that we're doing it. You always say the same thing. I got you. I got you. Let me show you what I can do. Let me show you what life is in the right place. Father, I thank you and I praise you for all that you do and all that you are. Continue to use us for purpose as we continue to pursue your presence and pursue your power. In Jesus' name, amen.